0: This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk.
1: Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. (laughs) Welcome to Do Try This at Home. Caleb here, just jumping in before the podcast starts. We recorded season one of this podcast over the last few months before we knew exactly what the show was going to be, or even that it would be following a, a seasonal format. So things kind of change as the show goes on and also we didn't have any social media accounts when we were recording so if you want to get in contact or if you want to follow us or get any more information about the show follow us on twitter and instagram at do try this pod and we'll have updates on season one and potential future seasons through those accounts right on with the show take it away tom for oh, hand on one of these in a while I have to like, build myself up to start. Yeah. Do you have an intro? <laughs> Not really. You're going to start I mean, speaking we... in a different voice?
2: No, no, no. Some films are mediocre, so bad they make you moan. We're here to save the cinema. We do try this at home.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Do Try This at Home, the podcast where we do try at home to fix a movie.
3: <laughs> it's amazing that we've done a handful of episodes now and you still have not figured out how <laughs> to say the premise of the podcast like a human being.
1: We do, no, the, the premise is that we do try this at home.
3: <laughs> yeah, Okay.
1: anyway we sound like a home
3: improvement podcast yeah
1: yeah yeah. as always i'm joined by the unmatchable (laughs) talent that is harrison Gale.
3: (laughs) oh you flatted me
1: (laughs) how are you getting on harrison
3: you know just hanging in there i think like most people just (laughs) hanging on by a thread but (laughs) hanging
1: well yeah that's all you can Really? How are you? We're also, we're, well, I'm, I'm well, I'm, I'm, I'm even better <laughs> for introducing our special guest this week. Oh, yes. Um, my friend and yours, maybe, I don't know. Indeed.
3: I would, I would say so. Wow. I'm going to be, I'm going to be hurt if mom doesn't agree.
1: No, no, no. I think he does. <laughs> well, we, we can ask him. Um, we're joined hey, by I. the incredibly talented actor, comic, improv performer, person, Rob Merriam.
0: <laughs> I've been maintaining <laughs> podcast guest silence up until now, but I would like to confirm, Harrison, that I would like to be your friend if, if you will have me. It's done. Wow. Still the
3: deal. I would shake hands on it, but we're... Not only are we remote, but we would also be socially distant if we were in the same
1: room. Yes. Yeah. So but this is, already this, lady, yeah. Yeah, a this is audio gold.
3: Yeah. Hearing a friendship
1: form. Mm, this is
0: what yeah. people We, tune but we can promo
3: the, this episode with that. Like, yeah. You can see a friendship you can listen to a friendship forum right before your very ears. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah.
1: So it's just an (laughs) entirely organic moment. (laughs) And what better
0: way to found a friendship than picking over largely forgotten Ben Stiller vehicles from
1: the early (laughs) 2010s. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that brings us on to talking about uh, what we're doing this week, which is yeah. Ben Stiller's, um, the secret life of automity from 2013, um this directed by and starring ben stiller Mm -hmm. do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about it harrison what's it what's this what's it about
3: what's this all about so secret the secret life of walter mitty uh is uh, actually based off of a short story by the same name that was published in the new yorker back in 1938 i believe And essentially, it's about this uh, man who is working at Life magazine, which is going through a transition from print to online. Uh, And this man, Walter Mitty, played by Ben Stiller, um, is uh, in charge of negative assets, which is just like he is the guy who um, is in charge of looking at the negative prints of pictures that they're going to publish in, in the magazine. Uh, but he has a he has a penchant for having these very intense and vivid daydreams, um, usually in contrast to his very or relatively mundane life. And in these daydreams, he imagines that he is, you know, a world traveler or you know, an action star and saving dogs from burning buildings and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but uh, he uh, he eventually um, gets a package of negatives to be published in the final print issue of life, uh, from this, uh, intrepid photographer, Sean O'Connell, uh, perfectly cast. As Sean <laughs> um, yeah, that was really, that was really like an Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's a no brainer. Yes. Um, and he, and in, in the note with, uh, with the negatives, uh, he, Walter is told that number twenty-five uh, is should be the final print issue's cover. It's the quintessence of life, but lo and behold, twenty-five <laughs> isn't there. So Walter is pretty much sent on this uh, uh, journey to find number twenty-five, uh, while also re-examining uh, his life and. Going on a journey to become the adventurer that was always inside. Uh, yeah. You know. mm.
1: <laughs> an <laughs> yeah, internal and external journey.
3: Yeah, truly an internal and external journey. <laughs> <laughs> he really did that.
1: He really did that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he really did. <laughs> uh, he did that for Those us. iconic
0: final lines of the film yeah. where the onlookers <laughs> look at Walter Mitty and say... He really did that. He really did. <laughs> he really lived that <laughs> secret life.
1: <of> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then it, it concludes, he, he finds Sean Penn in the end. And he tells him that he had the, the negative with him the whole time in the wallet that he gave him.
3: That yeah, um, he and stupidly then, threw in the garbage <laughs> like a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um and he we gets don't it throw back.
3: out leather wallets.
1: Yeah, I know that was. I watched. That. I was just like, why? Like, just you know, even if you don't like want to use it, like right yeah, now, just like, just, like toss like, put it, it in somewhere.
3: a drawer, like the rest of us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and never look at it again.
1: Maybe Ben Stiller can afford to throw away leather with wallets.
3: <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Maybe a hotshot Hollywood guy like Ben Stiller <laughs> to be that reckless with leather wallets, but not us.
1: Not us, <laughs> the everyman. <laughs>
3: anyway.
1: Uh, and then in the end, what's the, what's the final twist in the end, Harrison?
3: So the final twist, yes, yeah, spoiler alert, if you don't want to be surprised, but the final twist in the end is that the image... Uh, on the final issue of Life, that Sean O'Connell called the quintessence of life, was a picture of Mitty sitting outside their building, looking at a contact sheet. How wholesome uh, is that?
1: It's yeah, it's wow, and it yeah. and that's just a beautiful moment. <laughs> Completely undermined by his creepy hand holding of Kristen oh, yeah. Wiig.
3: Yeah, there's like okay, my if, if we're if we're just gonna dig into it on, on what my issues of this, were I do want to circle back to it because I know we usually like to talk about the things that we that we liked and we think worked mm. first, but I do want to just stick a pin in um, just the very like creepy and also completely underbaked Relationship with his love interest, Cheryl, played by very capable and talented Kristen Wiig, who was just not given a lot to work with here. But anyway, Mm.
1: and it's kind of like you know, it's okay if throughout because you feel like it might be building to somewhere, but then just the final scene is just this creepy, like, declaration of love. Oh my word, I can't even (laughs) speak.
3: It shook you yeah. so much that yeah. you can't even get the words out.
1: Just thinking about it and I break up. I <laughs>
3: <laughs> well but
1: anyway. Yeah, no, we'll we will circle back around. Right? Yeah, We'll Let's come back start to that. With Stuff that we like, stuff we wanna yeah. keep in in our version of this film.
3: I mean I think I think quite honestly, I think the basic scaffolding of mm. this plot works. Um you know, like, it's it, quite often, like, the films that we have been picking apart in the past are often like, well, the huge issue with this is that the character is not different at the end than they were at the beginning, which is mm. just, like, the mm. core of Hollywood-style screenwriting. Um, but I think we can safely say that Walter is a very different person by the end than he is at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, um,
0: absolutely. He has a beard. And a tan.
3: Yeah. He is like visually different. (laughs) Yeah. Which is good. His eyes look
1: bluer at the end. Like visibly, like. (laughs) (laughs) It's the tanning. More (laughs) Aryan.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Walter Mitty is (laughs) cancelled. Wow.
0: We're gonna get a lot of kickback from this.
3: Yeah, yeah. from this this film from 2013.
2: Yeah. Like the fans the think, are out there.
3: Yeah, the think piece from like the Verge or the AV <laughs> the AV Club is like secretly Walter Mitty is cancelled. And here, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely the the kind of overall shape of his character arc and and the plot as a whole like you say, it, it it works as is, I think. Um, and, you know, and there's, within that, there's some pretty neat sort of like specifics about who his character is and, and his backstory with having wanted to travel, but then his father's death kind of getting in the way and him having to get into work early in life. And the fact that actually that is held off into about an hour, an hour 15 into the film, it's not, we are immediately told this in exposition, but actually we just mm-hmm. kind of, it slowly develops out of, the sort of organic progression of the plot. And as he unravels these things about himself, he grows as a person and he's also on this external journey, which is nice to see compared to some of the films we've looked at um, so far on the podcast.
3: Man of steel. <laughs> I'm sorry. He begins as Superman. He cough. ends
1: as Superman also.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, not to rag on on a film that we're not even talking about today. I just have this weird like frog in my throat. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so that works. I think. Um, I think it's funny as well. That I think it's it's mm. a, it, there's a lot of like wit, especially in the first sort of hour that comes through and is still funny and and there's a kind of there's a a natural uh, pace to the comedy that Ben Stiller is showing us that I think works on screen. Uh, and really, it, it yeah, it, it's just obvious, and it's also family-friendly, which is nice to see as well, and I think it kind of functions in that way as well, and especially in the first half of the film.
3: Puritan Caleb Baron. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I
1: think there's a time and a place, all right, and I think it's nice to see a good family film every so often, you know?
3: It's <laughs> nice I, to see a good family film. I'm going
1: to cut all of this. <laughs>
3: Caleb Barron wants to bring back the Hayes Code.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, all right.
0: The humor is also nice because it's a nice blend of just really good comic performers doing what they're best at, but the, the camera has a sense of humor as well. And it's, I kind of would have expected with Ben Stiller, him having come up with this kind of 2000s comedies, which are very much kind of just point the cameras at the actors and let them riff and then save it in the edit. There's lots of nice little kind of pans and little reveals with the camera that are like humorous as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. At least at the start, it very much becomes a bit more maudlin and serious as it goes on, but it opens up very fun and breezy.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think Ben Stone knows how to capture Walter as this funny, awkward character. But the moment he begins to grow as a person, he becomes less funny to Ben Stiller, and I think that that comes through on screen. I think once he stops being this like sort of awkward, funny little man, it's like, oh, this, is, this isn't that funny anymore, which is something that I think we could maybe fix um, or f- think about how we might fix that. Um, but, yeah, but I think you're right. I think the camera is, 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 has its own sort of observational humor to it mm-hmm. as well as the, the actors we're in.
3: Yeah, I, I think also in that same vein, it's just, I think it's just beautifully shot. Um, mm. Mm. I think they, I think the, the cinematographer, uh, shout out to Stuart Driver, um, does just a really nice job of, um, you know, making all of these places that Walter moves through, even his office like seem larger than life as if Mm. Walter, like even the way he looks at the regular world is sort of like, he's this small, tiny little man in a world that like to him feels way too big for him. Um, And then it feels like he grows into by the time we reach the end. Um, Yeah.
1: In that sense, like aesthetically it has like the feel of a, of like a really neat sort of indie comedy Mm. Um, but then it's just, it it has the budget behind it to, to do everything ambitious that it wants to do as well. And that's kind of nice to see.
3: Yeah. It almost feels like, like I am like looking at life magazine in the sense that like when you're looking at a glossy magazine spread, Mm. you see like all of like the brilliant colors of, of the, you know, the images in it and they have, like, a kind of a texture to them, whether that's from the film brain of, you know, the image itself or if it's from the texture of the magazine paper, which I thought was kind of neat. I don't know if anybody was really thinking about that, but if you were, (laughs) nice job.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Um, Maybe that's somewhere to jump into kind of things to tweak. Mm
3: -hmm. I just...
1: I, in terms of Life Magazine, I I didn't mind that the story was framed around Life Magazine, but I also did find it just kind of weird yeah. how heavily like a real life magazine like that is featuring, and this narrative about it moving to digital, even though that's not something that happened at the time, yeah. and it's something that I guess there was a worry it could happen. It just felt like a really weird choice to like have Life Magazine as this prominent part of this film.
3: Yeah, that was one of my biggest issues. Quite honestly, I feel like there were—I felt like there were too many narratives going on, and they didn't quite mesh together well. Like I agree with you that not only is that kind of—I felt like that was kind of a strange event to center these, like to center Walter Mitty's journey around, but it also didn't feel like those themes really had much to do with what Walter was experiencing internally. Like, I didn't really mm-hmm. see a lot of thematic parallels between, you know, this big magazine um, switching to digital, I guess, sort of the themes that crop up for me are like, you know, the, the changing and loss of legacy um, and uh, modernity crushing tradition and that sort of thing. Whereas, like, you know, for Walter Mitty, like, this is just like a classic, like, hero's journey
2: type mm-hmm. thing
3: going on and I didn't really see how those two things were supposed to click yeah. with each other and I'm sure there is a way to do it but I don't think that the the screenplay as is really went as far as it needed to to make those two thematic uh trains intercept
1: yeah i kind of wonder as well like whether potentially this started its life as a screenplay about life magazine or a magazine like that coming to the end of its print run and then ben stiller got it and wanted to make this secret life of Walter Mitty story and put that on top of it like it feels like that that's how like you know i i I feel as though together yeah exactly yeah you know that's how
3: executives talk
1: yeah Mm. yeah um and and like yeah, to an extent it kind of works as a backdrop to the story, but like you say, like the themes just don't line up and, and also like, there's no time to develop the themes around the life magazine thing. So it it becomes completely like controlled by just the archetype that, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, what is his name?
3: I want you to suffer.
1: Adam Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my word. How did I take something to get there? Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it it becomes completely controlled by this archetypal like character that Adam Scott is playing where he's almost cartoonish. He doesn't feel like a real yeah, person at all. I and he's just I'm is. a you know like dickhead executive who's come to ruin your life. And like it just felt like <laughs> ah, you could probably do something more mm. with this. And Adam Scott, you know, like he doesn't just do like I'm a bad person. Like he you know, he can also be charming and nice mm-hmm. and like work in that way. And I just think why not? just bring like a third dimension to that character. If you're going to develop that part of the story. I think that
0: that kind of chimes with my biggest observation with it is that the scenes at the start, the kind of flights of fancy that are kind of Walter Mitty's main attraction. I suppose they are all playing very clearly. They're all shot to resemble action movies and big budget Hollywood movies. Mm. Um, and it very much implies that his kind of unproductive flights of fancy are that he ultimately needs to escape and grow beyond uh, are couched in this kind of very Hollywoodized way of looking at the world. But his reality is also like that. The characters oh, in it are not realistic. It is sketch. Yeah. It's all very overlit and kind of flashily presented. There's not as much of a divide between, and also when he goes out into the world, the adventures he has are kind of jumping off a plane into freezing water and getting attacked by sharks off the coast of Greenland (laughs) and not kind of, there's the divide between the flights of fancy he has and growing and changing and experiencing real life things are not that are are very blurred and it feels confused in that way because it is using that cinematic language in the imaginary sequences but is also a product of that same system so it can't help but uh-huh. look like that when it's just trying to purvey truth and reality. It, there's a kind of weird dissonance in it. As yeah. well as well. and I think Adam uh-huh. Scott's performance is a really good example of that is that really that character... We should take him more seriously yeah. and the collapse of the magazine, the loss of everyone's jobs should feel a bit more sincere, mm. but it really doesn't. And oh, wow. he, he returns back and there's that bit where Hernando, his coworker, he's just been fired and he's learned that everyone else has been fired. They're taking all the posters out of the building. Um, it's what should be the all is lost moment, I guess but it's like the button at the end of the scene is Hernando being like, that's my plant and getting his plant back. And it's funny. Yeah. It's, but it's, yeah, there's a, a real sense that the, yeah, the, the, I'm, you're not, I'm not sure what he's escaping to, really, yeah. because right. his world is already kind of jovial and fantastical.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I have something of the beginnings of a solution to that. And that's that by taking a look back at the original source material for this film. So this film, so yeah, like you said, it's a short story that was written in, yeah, like 1938 around then. Um, and the short story is just this guy, Walter Mitty takes his wife into town to do the weekly shopping and for her to go to the beauty parlor. And during his time there, he has five moments where he has these sort of five heroic daydreams. And one of them is, um, it's the powering up of the Navy hydro drone, uh, hydroplane um and it's like you know paired with like him driving into town and it's like this moment and i haven't read the book i'm just literally taking this off wikipedia but and then i was Dwight, wondering on laughing no no i i'm not saying you not i um, read the short the, story no, 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 the, the navy, navy hydro
0: <laughs> and he's just struggling then, uh, to read
2: it off mitty, the laptop.
1: and then it's <laughs> mitty as a walter mitty as a as a, a brilliant surgeon like doing this you know, surgery. And then there's a courtroom drama cliche and it's him as a, um, as a lawyer. And then there's one of him as a fighter pilot. And then there's one is a closing scene where he's like up against the firing squad and he just like stands there as a man and he like is ready to take it. And I think what's clear from that is that in the book, there was five like really separate, completely different, experiences Mm -hmm. that are almost like playing on different genres and what's missing is that his moments like where his imagination gets away from him are as rob said are all using the same cinematic language and actually what would have been more interesting is if all of these different um, episodes that he's having were playing on different genres and we're using the cinematic language we have of different genres. So one of them feels like a kind of yeah, like a modern blockbuster action film, but then one of them feels like a a western or something, and one of them's like a sci-fi fantasy, and one of them's like a you know, an out and out like comedy or like a sitcom-style comedy with a laugh track or something mm. like that. And using these different genres to to really clearly show the difference between real life and the fantasies that he's having and then later on when he goes and experiences adventure um that adventure again will feel different to the fantasies he was having earlier on because they are dealing exclusively in the cinematic language of genre rather than just a general cinematic language and so you'll have a clear delineation between those things shown in the film because of what you're doing with those earlier scenes
3: yeah um uh, yeah, I I I I agree with that. I think that like that's a pretty clear solution to this problem of not being able to clearly differentiate between you know what is real for Walter and what's the fantasy. And it's not like at any point in the film I was ever like I'm unsure if he's daydreaming or not. But mm. I think I think making those sequences feel different stylistically and also playing around with like the self-referential element of like oh like his daydreams are following the generic conventions of the other media we all consume yeah i Mm. think you know i think that makes it a little bit more textured and i think it it makes the function of these daydreams that he has a little clearer because otherwise then it's just like well he's just a guy who daydreams a lot and many of us are Yeah, yeah. and and I think also, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the original short story because I think, I mean, I don't know. I interpreted the short story as being very dark, um, that it's just because there's, it's just sort of like a vignette about this man who is trapped in what seems to be an endless cycle of um, mundane suburbia and living with his wife who he doesn't really understand or connect with or really you don't know, care that much about mm. <laughs> just you know trapped in in suburbia in the late 30s while politically the world is falling apart and you know maybe they didn't know it at the time but it's like it's still in the the throes of the great depression and mm. we have the retroactive knowledge of you know, the, uh, perhaps the most devastating world conflict right around the corner. And this man is just like stuck in his, his daydreams in, uh, you know, suburban New York. Um, whereas like this film is definitely like, it takes just the more like, and I think it's one of those, uh, classic, uh, uh, live life to the fullest kind of movies that comes around like once every five years. Mm. Um, that sort of what I like you know, to
0: call a Jim Carrey's yes man. Mm. Yeah,
3: which is funny yeah. that you bring up that film in particular because, <laughs> according to the development history of this film, Jim Carrey was supposed to star in it
1: in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Um, so there truly is a cycle in Hollywood.
1: Yeah. I mean, every every film that was up for production in the late nineties had Jim Carrey potentially attached. So there is that. <laughs>
3: Everyone's like, we gotta get this guy in our movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> before he goes to like make art, make art in his basement for the rest of his life, or whatever. <laughs> like, was... Honestly,
3: go off, King. We stand. <laughs> we stand, yeah. Jim Carrey. In yeah, this house, no. we love and protect Jim Carrey.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go make your art. Come back for Sonic every so often, but yes. You know, like...
3: I, I honestly think it was fantastic in Sonic, but that's another story. I don't want to <laughs> derail this too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, I, I think you're definitely right. And I think what's nice about this film and and the opportunity is to like see this character in the first half or even just the first act who resembles that character in the short story that you're talking about, um, but then to see him break out of it and actually go and seek out that adventure and to have this more sort of optimistic take on that narrative of actually you can go out and seek adventure. You can live life to the fullest, which, you know, is like a bit cheesy, but like, I think works. And I think works with what this story is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and is yeah, it's nice to see. I liked it. (laughs) I like to see it. (laughs) Um, yeah, I agree. So yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, using those genres in those early scenes works, but then, um, I think, I guess what you were also getting at, Rob, is, is about that the reality also doesn't feel like reality. And maybe there's, we can talk a little bit about those characters and circling back to that relationship with Kristen Wiggs' character as well and talk about how can we bring a little bit more reality into what Walter Mitty's life already is. It seems to me that structurally there's kind
0: of two bits that should be like the end of the fourth act, like the big defining moment of the story. I really thought I was kind of taken aback and pleasantly surprised when he finally meets the leatheriest man in Hollywood, Sean Penn. And <laughs> he reveals to him that the, I had been assuming that he was going to reach him and he would say, oh, I planted all these clues to get you to this point. There is no frame 25. I made it up because I wanted mm-hmm. you to experience life to the fullest. But, I was really kind of, and I was kind of taken aback that I'd been so effectively bait and switched by what is fairly rote Hollywood screenwriting, but it it really got me um, where he turned out that it was just a misunderstanding. It hadn't been sort of architected by this figure. It had just happened by accident. And I thought that was really nice and worked quite well as a message for the film that the frame was lost um, by accident, but that, Maybe it was the real frame was the frames we made along the way, and all
1: the frames we made along the way. (laughs) The frames
0: we
3: made (laughs) along the way.
0: So for him to then return to America and have the frame miraculously produced by Shirley MacLaine is, and then so so instead of the final the final kind of state that we leave Walter in being a realization that it was never about the photo. And even though his previous job has completely collapsed and that he couldn't save it, that he's moving forward in the world with a a greater understanding of, of what it is to live. The final place that we leave him in is Walter got to be on the cover of life magazine and he got to hold hands with a girl.
3: (laughs) Wow. He finally has a GF. (laughs)
1: i think part of that is about there's a there's a like you say there's kind of a mixed message at the end because i think kind of what the message the film ends up getting at which potentially it doesn't mean to is that like the sort of like journeyman like worker's life just doing your job and doing it well is a good life even if you're not seeking all the adventure you thought you were but also that you should seek adventure and go out and and do the things you want to do, which is a really mixed message to come away from because that's not falling down on either side. And I think you kind of have to pick one. And I don't think either of those is a bad message to to give um, necessarily because I think there's some truth in both of those. But the film does not do well at meshing that as an idea. Like, Mm. oh, I can be this like, you know, good worker who does his job well and enjoys doing my job well, and I can also travel. Like that's not something that we get as an idea at the end of this film. So either you need the lesson to be learned. I'm gonna go and travel. I'm gonna go and live my life in an exciting way. I'm gonna go and be Sean Penn, I'm going to do it like this, my life now, or you need the lesson to be like, he goes all the way out there. He finds out that it was in his wallet the whole time. And he's like, well, I'm glad I went on this journey. But to be honest, like, I know now that my purpose is to be with the negatives, like to be working and the job I was always doing and enjoying doing that. And mm-hmm. the only way to make that work would be that he goes back and he gets the job or he gets the same job, but in a better magazine or something. I don't know. Like, right. and, uh, and, better and magazines. so, yeah, there's, cause there's loads of better magazines than life. Magazine. life. <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine if oh, this yeah, whole thing would have been magazine. life and then at the end he gets a job at a better magazine. <laughs>
0: Life paid for most of the product placement. Yeah. But, but then this other time film is yeah. in.
2: Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. But no the I, sequel's called <laughs> The Secret Time of Walton.
3: <laughs> he just transfers to time.
1: Yeah. Uh, and the whole thing is he's just happy doing his job. And it's just him and he doesn't have like his flights of fats anymore. He just does his job. <laughs> It's Kafkaesque, Orwellian
0: <laughs> propaganda.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I think those two, those two messages don't mesh at the end, and I think um, maybe we just need to pick one and just be like, mm-hmm. that's the message. We, you know, yeah. I think probably the adventure, just like that, you know, life can be an adventure, and you don't need to get tied into working the same job but that actually there's adventure out there for you. Cause I think that's what the rest of the film is really saying. Like there's the moment where the picture of Sean Penn on his uh, board, his notice board, like comes to life and like, you know, beckons him to like go out and seek adventure in the world and to find him. And I think that that's probably what the film's getting at. And I think to make that clear, maybe he does come back to America at the end, but he's, you know, he's, resolute I'm going to travel again that's what I'm going to do or maybe he decides not to go back and he decides that's it I you know I'm I'm a, a, you know a, a traveler you know I can go and do whatever I want and enjoy life that way
3: <laughs> yeah I I had the same thought as I like approach the you know two thirds mark of the movie and I mm. almost thought to myself like I mean I think if you like I feel like you know, uh, there's adventure out there for you is like, that's a that's a nice theme and that's a nice message. I do think that it's been done a lot of times. So I would say yeah. if you wanted to go more unconventional route, you could do a little bit more of an overhaul in terms of like what the scenes are or what his journey is. And, and I think also make more use of the Daydream device because we see that a lot at the beginning and then it starts to fall away and then... It feels like almost in that strange way, like like these daydreams are one of his defining characteristics at the beginning. And then by the end, he doesn't have them anymore, which I guess yeah. you, on the one hand you can interpret as like a maturing of his character. And on the other hand, it's like, well, now he's lost a thing about him that made him yeah. Walter Mitty. And now he doesn't feel like Walter Mitty anymore. So I would even mm. say like you could do some rearranging of like the middle part of the whole journey that he goes on. And maybe he doesn't travel the world, but it's set in New York, which is itself a very diverse city. Like you can find people from all over the world there, from all walks of life, you know, young, old, from every ethnicity, from every like cultural background. And I almost thought to myself, what if like, what if the message is like, there's adventure right in front of your face, like Mm, right in mm. front of you, if you look for it. And maybe like you know, he goes to all of these different places in New York that sort of like, in some way, are analogous to like going off to some far off distant place or you know some um, you know challenge of of wit or or bravery or, or whatever. And while he's in these places, like he has this daydream where he imagines that he's like really in the place that's analogous to the place in New York that he's visited.
2: Yeah, And then by the
3: end, he's like, oh, like, I didn't even have to really go anywhere. And I've, like, done all of these things. And I've met all of these different people that were all right here. I just didn't mm. realize that they were there. Or I didn't, you know, I didn't think I had it in me to go and, like, put myself out there to meet all of these different people and hear their stories. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to think of, like, what would be analogous to, like you know going to Iceland but like some situation where he like might interact with an Icelandic person and then like he imagines that he's you know running away from the volcano or whatever yeah.
2: I don't
1: know. Well yeah I guess kind of in the film like it seems like a weird combination of places to choose like he goes Greenland and Iceland and then he comes back to America and then he goes to like Af- northern Afghanistan <laughs> like that's just like really random choices of like countries yeah. to go to and, and actually Clark. yeah in some ways like, oh, if the, you would,
3: of the time,
1: yeah <laughs> in some ways if you were going around new york you could get that sense of like yeah like an even more global feel to the film just from like the number of people he could meet across new york um being from all sorts of different countries and and that sense of like America is you know as the like melting pot of like cultures and 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 identities, and that that 's something he can experience on his doorstep and he doesn 't need to go anywhere and he doesn 't need to stop himself from imagining things and having a, a sort of creative mind, but actually he can just enjoy those things and that can be part of what his life is mm-hmm. and I think that 's a really neat way of completely yeah like you say it is a bit of an overhaul, but I think it 's a really neat way of kind of making this film feel. Like, it still has that feel-good message, but it it kind of meshes more of what the ideas that this film's getting at in its original form.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. It could also be interesting in this kind of alternative version that we're thinking about. His imaginings at the start of the film are very focused on him, and when other people appear in them, they appear in them as Kristen Wiig's character pops up, but only as a kind of simpering love interest which is ironic because (laughs) then by the end she basically is that Um, and Adam McKay's Adam McKay? No. Adam Adam Scott
1: Scott. Adam Scott Scott pops up as this kind (laughs) of... (laughs) He's taken a real beating this episode
3: (laughs) It's not his fault He's
1: saying
0: what uh, they told him to (laughs) (laughs) He pops up as a kind of uh, like superhero villain and it would be if you kept the device of the, imagined, the imaginary kind of ventures all throughout the film, if other people began to feature in them more truthfully, or just mm-hmm. even if we were rewriting the whole thing, if at the start they're very much focused around him and himself, and as they go on, he learns to kind of, his imaginings kind of let other people in. Because one thing that, was, mm-hmm. that stood out to me, we talked about kind of Walter's arc and how... The film is kind of uh, sh- sort of shaky as it is in some bits. It is it does have a hero's journey A to B arc for its main character, mm. which helps a lot. But I think they could have lent more on the things that are wrong in his life before he embarks on his journey. He gets on pretty well with his sister and his mum from the start.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: and his coworker and his coworker, yeah, and. Yeah. So really, it's it's the girl and being bullied by Adam Scott, who only
1: you know, who is a new inciting incident at the beginning yeah. of the film, who hasn't existed in his life prior to now.
0: Yeah, it doesn't appear that he has difficulty and, and and grief that he has this his this kind of. It's clear that he's been afraid to do a lot of the things that he wants to do because of the loss of his father, um, but I think yeah, you could definitely have a more strained relationship with his coworker and his family at the start. And then as he sort of learns to incorporate other people into his flights of fancy and allows the flights of fancy to influence and affect his behavior in the real world more, they become a more, sort of present and positive influence.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if, like, you know, taking his sister as an example, like, even if, at the beginning she's got a, an audition for Grease and then we find out just through a line of dialogue at the end that she got the part. Even if it was that, like, she got this part in this really tiny, like, um, production of Greases, he says it's not on Broadway or anything, it's just in, like, some old church. Mm. Like, and and but then he goes to see it in the third act of the film but he imagines it as if it was on broadway and that's that growth of relationship with his sister where he was dismissing Uh her and now he sees her as the star that she could be yeah and there's a growth in that relationship and for him as a character that his imagine his imagination there becomes less about him and more about actually what could my sister achieve what's her potential and Mm -hmm. you could have a similar thing with his um co-worker i mean and this is co-workers latino i mean why not have it that he feels like he there's no connection with his coworker, and that maybe there's even a part of him. That's like, not like overtly racist, but just oh feels God. like there's a lack of connection there because like <laughs> a lack, a lack of cultural understanding. And then maybe there's an experience through the film that helps him bridge that gap. I mean, not in a like weird, like white savior way. So we'd have to be real careful about that. But right. like, but in a, you know, in a like, Oh, I understand that I, had a completely wrong, like I completely misread who you were as a person
3: mm-hmm. kind
1: of way. Right. There's um, yeah,
3: something that they bond over.
1: Yeah, exactly. Never yeah. Come
3: up before. And
1: yeah. And, and even maybe putting more of an age gap between them as well. Like there's, you know, we, we, we're, we're, shown that water is, it, like in his early 40s and there's a sense that his coworker could be a bit younger than him and he's certainly a more junior coworker. maybe make him clearly in his 20s and again mm-hmm. they can't bond over that because of a difference in age as well and then they find some commonality um, and that's a growth in a relationship there as well and that could be interesting to see and you could even do the same with Adam Scott's character and actually that th- actually yeah it-, it becomes that actually Walter Mitty's imagination is a way of Bridging gaps between people in his life and right. finding a new way of connecting with them.
0: And um, you could have the first imaginary sequence that he has concerning this guy who's responsible for downsizing the company be framed as it is in the Ben Stiller in the film that we're talking about. <laughs> um as this kind of Good in the versus ben
2: Stiller. <laughs> in
0: the Ben Stiller. <laughs> oh yes, the um, Ben
3: Stiller vehicle.
0: In the 2013 <laughs> as opposed to the 2020 version. Yeah. Um, you could have it framed as this kind of good versus evil, very simplified kind of childish approach to it. And then a realisation later on that this is just a guy doing his job and mm. the, mm-hmm. the reduction of this to this kind of... Yeah, And and the other thing I think, because I think... You hinted at it earlier, Harrison. It is strange to have this character for whom flights of fancy, like being a bit of a Walter Mitty, is kind of is a byword. It's it's a it's fallen into like common parlance as someone who daydreams and goes on flights of fancy. But it's such Mm -hmm. a it's basically just the first act of the film. They cram them all into the first sort of forty five minutes because as soon as he starts growing and progressing, he has to stop doing them so if there was a way to make them more of a central part and then you could have the final you could have a moment where it seems like he's going on a flight of fancy like he's with all of the new friends he's made and all the family members he's reconnected with and and he's on
1: the copy of Life magazine why not like you can still keep that
0: yeah but and at that point he doesn't have to escape to this to an imagined yeah the, the final moment of the film is a moving beyond that as opposed to like the initial Threshold crossing is leaving behind the thing
1: that makes the character unique and different. Yeah, well, but also that he's learned that imagination is not a bad thing, and it's not a bad thing that he like zones out and goes to these places. But also that like it's yeah, it's about looking beyond himself, Mm. and and if it's like actually. He, You know, his his imagination becomes a way of, like, bringing others into his story. And then at right. the end, they in reality, they are his friends and part of his story. So he doesn't need to imagine that moment. But we also, he acknowledges that his imagination isn't a bad thing. And it's something that he mm. can keep as his character. He can still be who he is. Like, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> like, I, I think it's important that if you're going to call it the secret life of Walter Mitty... Then the secret life can't disappear after the first act <laughs> yeah. of the film. But
1: yeah. like it could that, do it, it being you know. secret as well. Like he's so excited to tell Patton Oswald that he zones right. out in the beginning. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Todd from eHarmony is my hero. Oh, he's so, what love a lovely so man. Yeah, also he kind of insane that he was like he's just like like working at an eHarmony call center, and he's like, Yeah, yeah I'm gonna go pick this guy up. From like airport security, <laughs> we've never met, and not even even weirder than that, honestly, was like, Oh, I'm just gonna give this guy a ring.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, when he rang I, him when he's in Afghanistan, he's like, It's really early here, but I just woke up thinking about you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Missed opportunity on a romance between Walter and Todd from eHarmony. <laughs> yes, yeah, the yeah. true romance was on the other line the whole time. Yeah, he man. called for help and instead he found love anyway um
1: anyway let's just, talk a bit yeah. about the relationship with kristen wiggs yeah. and
3: how
1: this new yeah, speaking of and how this new he <laughs> <laughs> just all right just point out the segues that i'm trying to put in
3: <laughs> i'm sorry subtlety i don't know her <laughs>
1: um but no let's talk about how this sort of new framing of the film could potentially turn that relationship from this sort of like creepy stalking and declaration of love at the end into like you know a, a normal nice real relationship
3: yeah i mean i think like again i think this is a problem that many hollywood films have where like the love interest in the same vein as like I think this is like hovering around manic pixie dream girl in the sense that like mm. Cheryl is exists only as a love interest and motivating force for Walter but we never really get too much of a sense of what her like inner life and motivations are like and I think yeah. part of that problem is compounded by the fact that she like frequently appears in Walter's daydreams so in the sense that like Walter doesn't really know her as a person, and he only really knows her as an idea and as a daydream. Yeah. We don't really get to know her very well, but I feel mm. like there is a way to just like you know. I mean, they have plenty of conversations as we like come to see in the film. Um, like I want to like she's always asking Walter questions, and Walter like almost never asks her about <laughs> yeah, her yeah. own life. Like just a mm. couple of questions here and there about like you know what not it doesn't have to be like you know super obvious and direct but just to get a sense of like what makes her tick and you know what you know like i still by the end of the film i still was like i don't even know what she does there
2: yeah (laughs) like like, what what does she
3: do and like what are
1: her ambitions as well like and and there's a sense that she is you know relatively junior in the company she's only been there a month well what's the story there is it that like you know she went to be a mom and now she's trying to find her way back into work? Because that's an interesting story that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. mind exploring. Or is it that she's just struggled to figure out exactly what it is she wants to do because there's a sense that she's had like a string of short-term jobs Mm -hmm. and she's surprised when Walter's been at the company for 16 years. Well, tell us a bit about that. Let's find out about that. And from that, we can learn about her ambition. And then through that, we can see that she's a character who has agency and is more than just an idea in Walter Mitty's head. And right. yeah, you know, that's just a nice thing to see on screen—is have more yeah. than just, you a, know, have be yeah. pined after. You know,
3: I think a prime example of of that kind of missed opportunity is when they're like, I think they're sitting they're sitting in a park or outside the the Time Life building, and uh, he Walter's showing her the printed um, pictures from the negatives that Sean O'Connell sent him. Um, mm. And she's like, oh, I've been taking this class on writing the mystery novel. And mm. the the way that, like, they say, like, the way you put together the mystery is you uh, come up with the end solution and then uh, you you plant clues leading from that and you work backwards so that it seems like the clues are, are unrelated. And I was like, wow, e- <laughs> great exposition, but you've told me, Giving me no reason as to why this woman would just be taking a writing class. Like, yeah. does she want to be a novelist or something? Like, that would be cool yeah. to know. Like, why did she just decide to take this class on writing mystery novels? And we get no explanation as to why, like, why she's doing this. Um, we're like, you know, maybe she's just like, oh, like I, I've always been a person who like, I always have my nose in a book or I, I love fiction or yeah. like, I love like just made up stories, uh, parallel with Walter. Um, and, but like, you know, I've never had the courage to write my own or whatever, something like that. So it's not just like, Hey, let me give this, this character something to say, just to give Walter a thing to think about so he can solve the plot without really including her, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and what if, like, you know, he, whilst he's out, like, finding him, himself through meeting people across the city and, and having experiences across the city, what if actually it's her that puts in the legwork to get the mystery solved? Mm-hmm. And then in the end, she writes up that mystery and she sells that as a story. Yeah.
2: I don't know. Just (laughs) a thought.
1: You know, and and I think why? And it just gives her something more. And maybe even that 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 could be a more interesting conclusion than just having him as a picture on the front of Life magazine. But actually that (laughs) his... You know his story is told, and and her solving of the story is told by her, mm-hmm. and and that becomes you know something that she's aimed towards and a growth for her as a character as well as his internal growth and his overcoming of his grief about his father, which I think should play a more prominent role in in his arc as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how those I, I I like how those mesh together, and then she has an actual function as opposed to just like being a a soundboard yeah. Walter when he finds all of these clues and just like singing to him. Yeah. It's
0: so strange because the ending where he approaches her and says this is going to sound weird but I was in this situation in Greenland where I needed to get on a helicopter and I thought about you singing this song and it gave me the power that I needed. So what that is in any other film is like with a kind of romance in. It's like that moment when you were with me, uh, you really, you gave me the strength that I needed. But it's that, but she wasn't there. Yeah. Right. It's It's purely his imagination. Like, this woman, uh, firstly, it's it's exactly what you say about like the lack of the interior life. The only way that she remembers talking about Major Tom with him months ago yeah. is if nothing <laughs> happens in her life. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean... Yeah. I think you guys have done a a good job of finessing and kind of growing this character out of it. My instinct from it is that, and it, I hesitate because sort of looking at a story and being like, no, cut this character or reduce the role of this female character. It kind of is a bit of a shame, but I think Mm -hmm. there was, there is an opportunity there really Walter having these kind of fantasies about his coworker, is a kind of childish thing that he should probably grow out of. And I was kind of excited for it to go in the direction of he grows out of this. She has her own life. He doesn't really know her Uh unless he gets to know her. You don't... The fact that she is... It turns out that he was right that they should be together all this time, despite being a wild fantasist that has barely got to know her. He was... His instinct that they should be together was correct I I,
1: but that can still be a conclusion to what we're saying like Mm. you know she can help himself the mystery they can get to know one another and then he can come to the realization like oh man this is just someone that I really like and respect as a person that I want to be friends with and I'm really like appreciative that I met her and like you know and that we have gotten to know each other but like I realize now how weird it was that I was fantasizing about her because Mm. she's you know just like a human being I didn't know anything about. And when I got to know her, I realized that, like, yeah, you know, we don't want to be together because we have completely different ideas and ambitions, but we're also people that could connect over this one thing and then move on with our lives. And those two things can come together, and I wouldn't mind seeing that as a conclusion and as a a lesson to be learned by Walter Mitty at the end. Yeah, definitely. Mm.
0: I think just especially as he has, there are two... female characters on hand in the form of his sister and his mum that also go very underdeveloped and who also basically just exist as sounding boards and kind of facilitators of his journey
1: yeah Um, but I guess if we're staying in New York and we're seeing more of these characters and we're framing his mm. growth around his development in his relationships rather than just like, you know, a 30 second sequence where he longboards down a hill, like, you know, which is fun, but it's not. Well, a, you yeah. Know, it doesn't really do anything, does it? Like, but like, you Everybody know, in the
3: theater <laughs> just doing shakas. <shockers>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it does make me think that they. They could have done away with the kind of arcade fire-ish soundtrack there and just had like, just like a shredding electric guitar all the way. (laughs) Or
1: or it's like, you know, he's he's like, yeah, I'm on a longboard like I did when I was a kid. And then he hops on, he's like, oh no, I was not ready for this. Music cuts, he's just screaming all the way down the hill.
3: Yeah, I I think I would have preferred to see that. I think that also would have been some... Desperately needed comic relief (laughs) for that (laughs) stretch of the the movie. (laughs) Because, like, also, he's this guy who apparently has, like, never done anything since he was, uh, you know, a teenager or a young man. And then all of a sudden he's, like, going to Greenland and Iceland and Afghanistan. Like, he does not know what he's doing. He is remarkably capable. This is what I was saying. Like, you know, he he just, like, spikes.
1: Yeah, he just, like, hikes the Himalayas, like, has no issues whatsoever. Where they, the Sherpas just leave him. Yeah, they leave they him behind. Like, he just like, keeps walking. He's just, like, <laughs> yeah, they leave him behind saying it's too dangerous. And then there's, like, people just playing football up there, having a good time as well. Like, mm. I, I definitely think... And, yeah. And also, like, Ben Stiller is just... You know, you can just see he's a very physically fit man. He keeps himself very well. <laughs> and, like, something I want to talk about is uh, I potentially, like, whether there would have been or there could be now better casting for this role, especially with where we're taking it now as well. Mm -hmm. Because I just think Ben Stiller, he just, he he comes across as capable. He comes across as very well kept. And then like when he's on an adventure, he just like is fine with everything. And actually maybe it would be nice to see someone who certainly in the first half, like just flounders a little bit more than Ben Stiller can in some ways.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I even feel like like this could have been, like, even if it was somebody like, you know, Stephen Merchant, who's just, like, too mm. tall to exist,
2: mm. <laughs>
3: and it's just, like, I mean, who whose work I love, and I think he's a very talented um, We were
0: gushing about Stephen creative. Merchant just the other day, because yeah, we watched I'm- Logan and small role that he has in that we were both just so good gushing yeah Yeah. he's just
3: a a delightful character actor and just Mm. steals the show in anything he's in without even trying and i feel like this would have been a, a great opportunity to see him in like a leading role where he's just like like you like he is capable of being very charming but i think he's also very good at channeling that like earnest awkwardness that yeah. that we all mm. that we all know more intimately than we'd like to admit. And um, you know, I'm just imagining somebody that tall trying to longboard <laughs> <You> know, just <laughs> completely losing control. <laughs> <laughs> just like this guy that like yeah. oh like in the office, like he's always hitting his head. <laughs> Like, yeah. the door frame and just no, stuff definitely. like that where like just the way that he moves in the world is enough to make him Not- think twice about traveling and, and going to all these different places I'm just being yeah. like if I can't even like you know walk through an office without like you know hitting my head or tripping over something like how am I supposed to go to Afghanistan <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more sense to me than like you know Hollywoodified Ben Stiller.
1: <laughs> yeah. He yeah. like, seems
3: to have no problem doing anything, quite honestly. Yeah, no.
1: It would be nice to see more of that physical struggle. And then also, I think then in those early scenes when he's having these um, imagined moments of action, it would be even kind of goofier even funnier (laughs) to see you know Stephen Merchant like that there's that like close quarters fight scene in the lift between Ben Stiller and Adam Scott and these are both guys you know like who are physically fit keep themselves well Mm -hmm. to see like the like gangly like Stephen Merchant trying to like throw Adam Scott (laughs) around an an elevator I mean that would just be so good to see like Mm. it would be so funny and it would just like really show that this is like part of his imagination because you can't imagine him being able to do that physically without Uh. it being very awkward
0: Mm. I was going to say that even though Ben Stiller is a a comic actor and plays awkward people very well he does he can't help but I think it's also to do with the way that it's lit and the way that it's put together it is all very glossy Mm. and uh, what you're saying about I think it's the Life magazine kind of parallel I do like that and that makes me view it in a slightly different light. But I do think, yeah, he's so unblemished and sort of has his hair is so perfectly cropped and his skin so perfectly moisturized all the time. I think a more, a lesser known and kind of more less exposed actor like Stephen Merchant or just an unknown. I'm thinking as well, there's this actor, Sean Harris, who has... He's basically, uh, it seems now just is just forever going to play like people in medieval dramas. He's in The King um, on Netflix and also Outlaw King on Netflix. And he was in the Macbeth movie a while ago. He's also the villain in the new, um, the most recent couple of Mission Impossibles. But he mm. has, he kind of looks kind of odd and has this like weird, breathy way of speaking. Mm. Just any actor that kind of doesn't fit cannot be made to fit the kind of hollywood archetype i think would be a really good fit for this because it would make mm-hmm. the flights of fancy a lot more striking because they would look like hollywood films for yeah. everything but their star mm-hmm. and it, yeah it would make it would make the transformation feel a lot more notable and surprising i think mm-hmm.
1: yeah well, because when Ben Stiller returns from traveling abroad, tanned and like looking very healthy and like you know a man that's traveled, you're not surprised because that's no. how he looks in any other film or when yeah. you see him at a press. I
0: did get flashbacks screening. where he's in the Himalayas and he has snow in his beard. Yeah, that those fake trailers at the start of Tropic Thunder, where it's like <laughs> yeah. Doug Speedman in Total <laughs> Meltdown,
1: and it's yeah, yeah. 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 And even if it was like a, if we, you know, that just made me think of like Steve Coogan, like a Steve Coogan or a Rob Brydon or someone like that as well could fit oh that. Mm, just like this, like slight, these slightly weird characters. And I think that could be interesting. And all of these um, the
3: secret life of Alan Partridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I want that so bad now.
2: <laughs> oh, <man>. uh, <laughs> that would be
3: so
1: good um, but no I, I think yeah there there is maybe something to be said for like s- casting in this way w- would maybe bring out more of that awkwardness of automity and then yeah make that transformation over the course of the film more surprising um, yeah I'm struggling I'm I'm to think of <laughs> what else there is to talk about I, I I have to say I had a lot of fun with this film Mm-hmm. um i thought it was pretty solid i comp- like you were saying at the beginning compared to a lot of the films we do where it's so clear they need like a hefty rewrite from the start um this felt fun and felt you know it was a little long but it felt mostly pretty breezy and 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 like just a good time throughout so it mm-hmm. was kind of yeah it was but it, yeah i think i mean i think we've had lots to say but i think it, it's been it's kind of harder to to completely overhaul in some ways because there was lots about it that I enjoyed even if it was like a bit cheesy or a bit um a bit like overly glossy uh, in its original form.
3: Yeah, I think like I think this honestly like this was an interesting one to work on because I think I think it does have a lot going for it. I think it just needs a little bit more uh sprucing up in some ways that like it it almost feels like not even it doesn't even feel like a first draft, but it feels sort of like a uh, you know third third draft maybe, and or second second or third draft, and it just needs a little bit of rearranging, and even some like you know some elements like even casting that mm. that could make it work because I think even if you're like I'm so so sorry Ben, but like even <laughs> I think if you just changed like who is starring. Uh, You know, and exchange them for somebody who, as we decided, like, less closely fits, you know, the typical mold of, you know, the standard Hollywood leading man. Which, again, like, and once again, not to rag on Ben Stiller, it's not like he's, he's not like a Henry Cavill either. Like, let's not, (laughs) let's not overstate it.
1: You can't do anything right. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah but it
1: the, the it made me think like you know if this was being done not by Ben Stiller, someone like Jason Bateman or something would be cast in this role, mm-hmm. and that's still too Hollywood, yeah. even mm-hmm. though he's always playing in yeah. every man, he's still too clean, he's still too like obvious, and I'm yeah, I think what we're saying is that actually just changing that casting to someone who is not like so clean cut and and is like a little bit more of like a normal human being like the rest of us would make it a much more interesting film from the get go cool well we did it again we did it again (laughs) (laughs) do you say (laughs) that thank you
3: very much we've we've done it again
1: (laughs) well we did it again we did it
3: by Jove we've done it again
1: Uh, well yeah that brings us on to a segment that Rob will have no idea about but I'm gonna just spring on him So, Rob, let's say um, it's the year 2030. Uh
2: Um,
1: We're living in a post-COVID-19 world. Oh, hooray. (laughs) Yeah, good. And uh, and you're about to do your your feature directorial debut. Oh, wow. And... (laughs) And uh, and the executives have come to you and they said we want we're ordering a remake of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, mm. but we want your take on it, your spin on it, specifically
0: a remake of the 2013. Yeah, version.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're saying like we listened back to that podcast you did with Caleb and Harrison, <laughs> <laughs> and we loved some of the ideas. Would you remake? this version that we've discussed today? Or would you say, let Bygones be Bygones? Like, (laughs) the glossy Life magazine version is all I wanted. Hollywood's come (laughs)
0: a-knockin' and I've left the door locked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think, hmm. No, I think, I I think our version is is better. I I hesitate, it's difficult, you know, because obviously, and I, I say this as if, people involved are gonna hear it.
2: It feels weird, <laughs>
0: this piece of work, however kind of however many bits of Papa John's sponsorship are in it and however bright and shiny it is and however kind of studio mandated the weird handhold at the end is. Yeah. People put time and effort into this, especially Ben Stiller, who <laughs> directed as well as starring in it. Okay. To be like, no, R1 is better. But I think there's clearly a beating heart in this thing. And I think I, I I do think that if you're going to make uh, a big budget film with this kind of name recognition, purely for the sake of the name recognition, having a, a a deeper, not reverence, but because I don't have much reverence for Walter Mitty, but just leaning more into what the thing that you're adapting and capitalizing on is an important thing to do. And I think yeah, our version that hinges a bit more on his on the secret life of mm-hmm. Walter Mitty uh, would be a good thing, and in twenty thirty, <laughs> we'll probably need it.
2: <laughs> yeah, when if we're, if we're, we're currently we're still
0: sitting in Cornwall, this will all be underwater. <laughs> <laughs> oh
3: no! Uh. Just like Manhattan. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. All gone. The
3: underwater life of Walter Mitty. No,
0: scratch that. My version that I'll pitch will be a version in which Walter Mitty lives in one of the many giant slums that cover the eastern seaboard and imagines having food and running water.
3: (laughs) No! Oh, uh, one of the slums that people have jokingly named Bezos Towns?
0: Yes. in between queuing up to try and get work in the parcel and yeah. distributor uh, yeah,
3: yeah. The, the sole employer on planet earth
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um Harrison yeah. would would you remake this film like the version we talked about not the one Rob <laughs> jax <just picks. laughs>
3: um you know uh if the price is right if, you know if <laughs> i do it
2: everyone's got their number
3: and uh (laughs) you know if you paid me enough i'd do it i mean i don't know because i feel like listen like if i were if i were in if i were in hollywood in you know 2030 and somebody's like yeah we want you to direct this i like from my perspective now i think there are like very few things that i'd be like not no, like that's yeah. beneath me. You know, <laughs> you're like, hey, we want you to direct this movie, and uh, we're gonna pay you a lot of money to do it. There's, I can think of very few reasons why I wouldn't do it. <laughs>
1: i we might have to scrap this segment because this is just the answer we give every week it's yeah. just like it's well, like, well
0: it's, it's work
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah work is work you know yeah i shouldn't
1: <laughs>
0: i shouldn't deconstruct the segment as
1: it's... <laughs> no 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 we that's,
2: Harris does that's
3: the what
0: the same every
1: week. Like, do just like i yeah. want to direct yeah
3: yeah rob, rob <laughs> answered it the way you're probably supposed to i just <laughs> always love to take it off the rails.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I'm actually this week I'm going to I'm going to say nah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I like this film. Um I think our ideas are fun, but I I think it's, it's fun as it is. Probably doesn't need You know, there's other films that I would be more keen to to take a second look at yeah. before this one. And uh I think our ideas probably make the most of the the other characters, but I I think that as a as a Ben Stiller project, I think it makes the most of what it has. To which the Hollywood producer looks confused yeah. and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you'll never work in
3: this town again, <laughs> you fool! He, says as he slams the door shut. I put my neck on the line for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's also like smoking two cigars at the same time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he like Spitting looks like Edward
3: G. Robinson. <laughs> he'll never walk in this town again see he <laughs> just says wah a lot
1: he's <laughs> <laughs> just a mario character yeah.
2: right?
0: he's got his little <laughs> green suit <laughs> yeah. no
1: purple purple man purple I'm sorry Waluigi
3: <laughs> yeah it, it, dishonoring Waluigi that way you should be sorry <laughs>
0: If if a Hollywood producer came to my door and asked if I wanted to direct the Waluigi movie, I would <laughs> say that. yes, on the condition that I can star.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> i watch that. And that's perfect, because then that's new material we can talk about on the podcast.
1: <laughs> I
0: can come on the podcast as soon as we wrap the movie.
1: Yeah.
2: So this, this is I how I would
0: have done take. my movie better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, good stuff. Okay, well, we're done. Well, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do we do? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Harrison, um, if people want to bother you about movies on the interweb, how Mm -hmm. can they do that?
3: Uh, If you want to bother me about movies on the interweb and the more argumentative you can be, the better um uh you can find me on social media I'm on Instagram uh, at Harrison who and uh, Twitter uh, at Harrison Gale who and you can also find me on Letterboxd, at Harrison Gale
1: sick <laughs> nice um sick, Rob, did? If, if people want to badge you online is there is there anywhere they can find you If
0: for some inconceivable reason they do i am on letterboxd as well uh my handle on letterboxd is the same handle that i've had with everything since i was like 13
2: oh yeah because
0: it's it's never taken and i just don't like having numbers or letters it's fork rug uh the word fork followed by the word
1: rug next i'm sure
0: if you search rob merriam That probably also gets you there, but just in case you're (laughs) not clear, it's the fork rug Rob Merriam that you're after.
1: And Rob writes like full actual reviews for movies rather than like me and Harrison who just try and come up with like one witty little line about what we thought of it. So he's probably the best one to follow. Um, But if you do want to follow (laughs) me after that great pitch, (laughs) I'm I'm on Twitter, Instagram and Letterboxd at Caleb Lebster, C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Uh, And with that, we're done. Uh, We really did do Try This at Home.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Just the grammar of it is like...
1: (laughs)
0: The Try This at Home was in the wallet that we threw in the bin.
3: Oh! He
1: did it. He did do Try This at Home.
3: He really did that.
1: That was a Maybe You Like It production.
2: Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.